Welcome to the latest edition of Streamline. My guest today is my very good friend, Nick Dietrich. He's been involved in various projects. Uh, he's got his own publishing label. He's, he's wearing many hats. He's, he's done a lot. He's also part of the highly successful duo, the Disco Fries. Uh, we have a lot of mutual friends and we recently got to catch up in New York City, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Nick, welcome to the show. Could you start Thank off you by telling you, us? Man. Oh man, it's a pleasure. Tr- truly, it's a pleasure. Uh, could I get you to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got started in the music industry and what led you to where you are today? Sure. So I am one half of the Disco Fries, as Mike said. Uh, we also run a label called Liftoff Recordings. Uh, and under that umbrella, we also have a couple other imprints where we release everything from R&B to pop music to pop dance music. Uh, Liftoff is our flagship label. And we started that as kind of a, a way to release music that was complementary to our own, release our own music, and then release music that uh, we just want to support that makes sense for our radio show and makes sense for our live sets. So with that said, Disco Fries is an electronic dance music artist-driven project, but a lot of the music we release on Liftoff is in that same lane. Uh, So since then, we started the label in about 2012, uh, and since then we've been able to start some other imprints. Most recently, we started an imprint called Pharmacy with Tommy Sunshine, and that imprint focuses on specifically pop dance records, leaning pop, stuff that wouldn't necessarily make sense for Liftoff, and it wouldn't makes sense for Brooklyn Fire, Tommy's label, because that's, yeah, he does a lot of like fringy releases that are super heavy handed electronic, really amazing stuff, but it's hard to also release pop records on a label like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to start something because we were getting tons of amazing records that didn't make sense for either of our own imprints. And we wanted to start something where we could support those records. Uh, so we did that. Also, I manage an artist by the name of Domenico. Domenico has his own imprint called Il Dottore. That imprint is focused on R&B. It leans a little electronic, but it focuses on R&B and uh, R&B leaning pop as well. And then we have our overarching brand that we started in college, which is called Architone. Architone was a way for Danny and I. Danny is my partner in Disco Fries. Danny and I initially started Architone before Disco Fries. We were doing music for TV and film, doing a lot of stuff for sync. And we wanted a way to, number one, we needed to create a business name. But number two, we wanted a way to to publish that music. Uh, so we created that imprint first and we released some tracks on it. We, we licensed a lot of music through it and it still exists. Uh, and once in a blue moon, we'll put out a record on Architone that doesn't make sense for any of the other imprints that I've already talked about. Um, so... That also leads me to the publishing side of what we do. So in addition to the artist-driven brand of Disco Fries, we also make music outside of the genre of electronic music. We make tons of other types of music, and we enjoy doing that. Uh, So we do a lot of publishing of that music, again, for TV and film, and then also just production for other artists. Not necessarily ghost production, but, you know, uh, singers and songwriters who may need a producer uh, will hit us up and then we'll get involved in their project. And and that spans from everything from pop to hip hop to kind of everything in, in between. But just to tell you a bit about my story, I feel like I'm <laughs> endlessly rambling on caffeine right now. To tell you about like a bit of the backstory, 
I started playing piano when I was seven. And by the time I was 13 and absolutely hated practicing, I fell in love with DJing. I went to a school dance and I was like, I really want to DJ. That seems amazing. Uh, I just loved everything about it. I loved everything from like a light, having a light set up. And I'm talking about mobile DJing at that time. So having a light set up, bringing a rig, like having my own collection of CDs at that time and rocking a party. So started DJing and, and I was cutting lawns to make money. And I was 12, 13 years old, put a bunch of money aside, started buying gear. Every holiday, birthday, opportunity for me to get gifts from anybody. I was like pulling any money I got from that or, you know, ideally giving people maybe something I wanted, like a strobe light or whatever uh, to give me as a gift. Uh, <laughs> and eventually I got to a point when I was like f 14 or so where I was still playing piano, but I was also DJing pretty regularly, like Sweet Sixteens and, you know, school dances and things like that. And I, I kind of came to this idea of like, I really want to combine these two things because I do enjoy playing piano, but I'm not going to be a piano player for the rest of my life. I'm not, number one, I knew I wasn't good enough to, to do that professionally, but I also just didn't want to just do that. So I landed on production and production to me felt like kind of the marriage of the idea of DJing and putting together a mix and composing and playing and, you know, participating in something as a musician. For some reason, production to me felt like marrying those two ideas. So uh, I kind of went back to this thing of like, started getting gear and microphones and figuring out how to like put together a setup, which ultimately led to when I was 15, I started my own record label uh, in a very infantile stage, but I was working with a bunch of different hip hop artists and we started pressing up CDs and uh, I learned Photoshop. So I was doing everything from doing the artwork to coordinating with the mastering house to pressing the CDs. And then we would go like practically door to door style, go to the mall with a Walkman and just sell CDs, like wow. do what you had to do to sell music. Love um, that hustle, man. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was, I feel like I was just born to do it. And then that kind of got to a point where, I was graduating high school and I needed to decide what I was going to do like senior year. Parents pretty much gave me an ultimatum, like either, either get a full-time job now, or if you want to continue to just make music and live at home, you need to work a full-time job. And there was no chance after doing everything I just explained that I was going to get a nine to five job. Or they said, go to college. I was like, well, I'm going to go to college, but I want to go for something that I want to do. So Ultimately, I went to I got into Berkeley College of Music in Boston. It was the only college I applied to. My guidance counselor in high school told me I was insane. Nobody from the high school had ever gotten in there and that I needed a backup school and I needed to take the SATs. Not only did I not take the SATs and I got out of that, I only applied to Berkeley and thank God I got in. Wow. So <laughs> get into <laughs> Berkeley and uh, my first day there, I met. Uh, my roommate, whose name was Danny Basulovic. Danny is the other half of the Disco Prize. So we met freshman year and we happened to be roomed together. Wow. Danny, totally different from me. Like I was like a hip hop kid from Jersey and he was like a Pixies fan from Virginia who like synth pop. And uh, we were just two totally different people, but became the best of friends. And to this day, I mean, 
our families hang out together and we have tons of mutual friends from college and it, it worked out to be amazing, but it wasn't until like junior year in college that we really started to make music together. So we kind of found this common ground. Like we both love dance music and we love Tiesto and, you know, we both had like traffic and, and all these classic like trance albums that we loved. So we started making some of that stuff and really we fell on like doing these 80s remixes. They were the first things that we started remixing together. So we did like Eddie Money, Take Me Home Tonight, and uh, Summer of 69 and like all these like cheeky like 80s records that we started remixing and servicing out to DJs because I knew a ton of mobile DJs who also played on mix shows. So once we started doing that, we gained some interest from Atlantic Records and, and they were like, hey, uh, a guy by the name of John McMahon, who we're still in touch with, is an awesome dude. Uh, he was like, hey, I'm, I'm working radio on a couple of records. Uh, I've got the new Flowrider pro- project. So he sent us, he sent us one, one track. We did like a spec mix on it. It didn't work out. And then he sent us Flowrider Sugar, who had Winter Gordon at the time before Winter really broke with our own single. So... We did Sugar, and it ended up going platinum. Because we were attached to the remix, when the record went platinum, we were still credited as going platinum with the record because the remix sales contributed to the certification at that time. I don't know if it's still that way, but at that time, that's the way it worked. Very so cool. we were able to like juice that and like basically say our first major label remix, which we did on spec, went platinum. And from that came a bunch of other remix opportunities over the years. And we then fell into a, hey, we don't want to be remixers forever. We want to be producers. So we started making original music after that. Um, where am I in the timeline? So that was like 2008 or prior to 2008. But let's say 2008 up until like 2012, 13. Okay. Around 2013, once we started getting our own records out, we... You know, we're getting support from everybody from Avicii to Geta to Hardwell. And uh, out of the blue, one day, Danny and I were in my home studio working on stuff as usual. Uh, we had had a track out called Revela- Open Your Eyes Revelation on CR2. We saw Tiesto was playing it a bunch. And um, we get a message on Twitter, a, a DM from Tiesto. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm working on a new, a new album. Would love to have you involved. Are you interested? So after taking like 10 minutes to like flip out and like regain composure and, you know, figure out if it was legit, we, um, we obviously came to our senses and realized, yeah, it came from at Tiesto's handle on Twitter and, uh, it was legit. And we happened to be doing a show in Vegas, uh, maybe like a month after that DM came in Mm -hmm. and he was doing a show the same day. So we met up with him and, you know, he said, I'm working on my, my real first real like crossover album called the town called paradise um i've got a bunch of records done but i've also got a ton of stuff i'd like to get you guys involved with and i from there it was kind of history with that album like we we got involved with a ton of different records with him we were in the studio countless hours working on stuff and um we were part of his first real big top 40 record which was called wasted with matthew coma uh so we co-produced that record and a few other records on the album and then went on to do a bunch of other collaborations together, which has been great. And he's still a big supporter, which is amazing. 
Wow. And I know this, you mentioned at the start that you guys you know, had a common interest in music and one of the artists you mentioned was Tiesto. So that 10 minutes, I can only imagine what that actually looked like. It probably felt like 10 hours of celebrating when you got that DM and realized it was legit. That's uh, Yeah. I mean, we were, we were flipping out and, you know, uh, I know like you do in this industry, like these are, these are fleeting moments and, and sometimes they are just a moment and then maybe there's no follow through or whatever, but to see that come full circle from us being fans, having that common ground to then ultimately getting that and then working with him and, and following it through with like one of the biggest, I mean, the biggest production that we've ever been a part of mm. as a pop record is like, I mean, that's that you can't put that into words. It's a, those are, those moments are few and far between. So we really, uh, we relished in that for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing as well with technology now. I mean, yes, you were able to catch up with him in Vegas because you both happened to be booked on the same night. But the fact that you were able to connect probably from different sides of the world via Twitter uh, to initially set this up is pretty amazing. And uh, it goes to show how far we've come. I mean, back in the day, he would have had to have heard your music, wrote a letter to your fan club potentially <laughs> to try and reach you. Because I don't know if you were managed at the time, but that would have probably been the only way to really reach you before you had management. But let's get into the next part of this, which is, I mean, thank you for um, for sharing your story. Firstly, that I, I knew little pieces of that, but I didn't know every part of that story. And uh, the Tiesto part is just mind blowing as well. To um, to you know, really stick with it and uh, have your parents, of course, being supportive, but also saying you need to have money. Uh, if you want to live uh, so you need to get a full-time job or you need to go all out on music or you need to study and uh, how far you've come I just got to say congratulations man I mean that's um thank you, you man. it's always nice to hear people's stories and and know what they had to go through before they got to that level you know it didn't just happen overnight you didn't just pick up you know some DJ equ equipment at a yard sale and then start playing and become an overnight success there was a lot of work a lot of grinding and got, you mentioned going out to the mall and handing out a, handing out a mixtape or selling a, a CD with your productions on there. You know, I mean, you have to really believe in what you're doing and you have to show a certain level of confidence when you go out there and just approach random strangers and be playing your song at, at the time you mentioned on a cassette tape player, which is, which is crazy. I could only imagine every time you'd have to manually rewind that tape so you could play the track again. Uh, unless you were smart enough to have, you know, a 60 minute side. So you'd know you've got 60 minutes of the track. Well, <laughs> luckily it wasn't that long ago. We did have CDs. So okay. you know, you're still rewinding a CD and like jumping through tracks. But I think the, the, the main part of it was we just threw ourselves into it. And it's, I mean, you want to talk about getting reality checked. Like when somebody either doesn't want to listen to your music and straight up says like, get away from me or somebody <laughs> listens, somebody takes the time to listen. And they're like, yeah, this is shit. Like I'm not, there's no way I'm buying this. Like yeah. super, it, it's the best ego check ever. Number one, but it also, you know, it prepared me for things later on. Like I, I'll send an email to anybody or call anybody up. does not matter to me. And I don't take it personally. If, I'm rejected for whatever reason, or there's a non-response or I don't get the response that I want, like honestly rolls off my shoulder. And I just experienced so many new artists who get way hell bent on the fact that like, 
you know, they sent out a couple of emails and they didn't get responses. It's like, well, welcome to the rest of your life. Number one, because I don't care what level you're at. Like people yeah. miss emails and people don't respond, but you got to have thick skin, man. And that was a, that was the best way to prepare for that without even knowing I was doing that. That's awesome, man. And, uh, you know, some of the best feedback I've ever had is from people I don't know. I mean, if you need a confidence boost, if you need a little ego boost for some reason, you go, you go to friends, you go to family because they're going to go, yeah, this is amazing. You're going to be you're going to be famous. You go out to a complete stranger and go, what do you think of this song that you've never heard before? <laughs> right. and, and like you said, they may go, this is terrible. And then you can say why. And they go, well, I listen to country music and this is, yeah. you know, this is heavy EDM or... Um, you go to a producer and, and you say, what do you think of this? And they'll go, look, I, I don't like it. And you go, why? And they go, well, have you actually listened to it? The mixing is terrible. The vocals are way too low in the mix. I can't enjoy this right now. Go back and fix that and come back and show me. You know, that's why it's important to get many ears on your projects. You, you know, you, you've listened to that same track potentially for six weeks straight, every single day, you don't know what you're hearing anymore. It just becomes a blur. You play it to someone else, the first time they hear it, they're going to pick up stuff that you missed. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's super important to get opinions and get feedback. At the same time, like there, there's a line and there's a creative line of where you just need to be confident in your choices. And if you know, um, you know, if you worked in, with enough people and you've put out enough projects and you're confident that your mixing is strong and your production choices are strong, but maybe you're not the best at arranging or the best at like building like a attention release moment or whatever it might be that you're not strong at. Maybe those are the areas you get feedback on those specific things, because I think there's a dangerous area you get into where when you get too much feedback and mm. it's the, you know, it's the old adage of too many chefs in the kitchen, but suddenly you're, production and sorry my screen just went um <laughs> suddenly your production and your your idea has now become every else's everybody else's playground to to kind of be the artist and i think that's a fine line that producers and artists need to be careful of and, and just mindful of when they go out to get feedback yeah absolutely you know, there is such thing as too much feedback of course like you mentioned there you don't want to uh survey a hundred people about your track that's that's not going to be useful at all. You're going to spend all your time reading all their responses. Um, but definitely someone with fresh ears giving you feedback is highly valuable because that's the first time they've heard the track and they're going to pick up stuff straight away. Yeah, I mean, we do we do a lot of work with uh, Tritonal's label, Enhanced, and uh, Chad and Dave of Tritonal are amazing uh, producers, just incredible. And they obviously have their finger on the pulse with dance music, so... When we have a track that we know is going to go to Enhanced, we obviously look to them for feedback. And like, there's plenty of things after, you know, a hundred hours of working on something that we miss or our ear, you know, we have ear fatigue and we just don't, we don't know where to go with something. And those guys are good about not changing the creative, but uh, are very good about honing in on a specific thing and saying like, hey, if you cleared up, this frequency to this frequency within this sound, it'll allow room for that other sound to pop out. And like, sometimes it's the one tweak that we needed in order to move the track ahead. So like we trust those guys with feedback. Oh, yeah. Same, same with when we tell artists that we sign to our label, like 
if they want our opinion on it, we're always all ears. Send it, and we'll we'll be as detailed and specific as possible without trying to change the integrity of what they brought us. Because obviously, we want to sign a record, or we're fans of a certain artist for a reason. So, like, we don't want to change their sound. But I, I think for us, like doing the same thing or a similar thing that Chad and Dave do for us, it like dialing in and being able to tell them what specifically could get tweaked that would take their track from 95% to a hundred is, is super valuable. Definitely. You know, you mentioned getting feedback from the tritonal guys as well. I know that you've been working with them in different capacities as well as uh, supporting them on, on a recent tour as well. Can we talk a little bit about collaboration? And uh, more so, I believe you've recently released a splice pack as well with a number of friends as well. So could you tell us a little bit about that and how that came about? Yeah, definitely. So um, we've, we have a long history of working with Tommy Sunshine. You obviously had the pleasure of meeting him uh, not too long ago. And Tommy mm -hmm. is an encyclopedia of music. So the first time we worked together, he, he had reached out to us on email uh, when we were first really starting to do original records and we were getting some of that support I was talking about. And without knowing really too much of what we had done before, just hearing bits and pieces, he just brought like a library of disco music to my house and was like, oh, you're the disco fry. Maybe we should make some disco together. So... <laughs> <laughs> this was the first time we met and that same day in like five hours we made our first single together which was called don't look back and it went uh number one in australia it's a huge mm. record for us over there and we since did numerous follow-ups with him and we've done a ton of remixes together dj mixes we're involved together on a bunch of different projects and with different artists so that said we finally put together a splice pack together uh, we've done a couple of these and we thought bringing Tommy into the fold, like together, we could do something super slick. Uh, so we did Rave Revival, which is everything you could want to make a proper rave record or just inject the idea of rave into a current production of your own. Mm. Uh, so we did this Rave Revival pack. It's over 500 sounds. It has a bunch of guest artist on it and his whole Brooklyn fire camp participated in that splice pack. They each threw in like five to 10 sounds, maybe more in some cases, loops and different things that we tag them on and they're credited on in the pack as, as kind of like a guest contribution to it. So in conjunction with the pack, Tommy was like, yo, we definitely need to do a collab with all these guys. And I was like, Oh man, it's going to be that. Cause I know how these things can go. And like, I just, you know, I prepare for the worst of disorganization when you have that many people involved in something mm. like the session can become a mess. The whole thing can just fall out of sorts. But like everybody rose to the occasion. Uh, we started the initial concept with Tommy and then we, he sent it over to his guys and like they all communicated. And it was one Ableton session that got passed around and like it didn't become too much of a disaster. But it was dope because after everybody got the project, we got it back. We got to see how they injected their own flavor into it. Mm. So it has Slatten, Marikian, House of Panda, Tommy, 
ourselves, Otter Gang, um, and then the whole project we've branded as Rave Revival Sound System. Mm -hmm. So, and that's going to be kind of rotating. Like we may be part of the next record. We might not be. It might be five other guys that Tommy swaps in depending what, you know, whatever is going on, but that I'm happy to be part of the first record. And it's kind of like a, a comic book of like Avengers of sorts. Cause you like put all these producers together and like, it's not something you would normally ever see. In fact, it was tough for us with Spotify because we couldn't bill all the people the way their system mm. is set up. We couldn't put everybody as a main artist. So a bunch of the guys are featured artists because we couldn't list everybody in the header. But still, everybody participated at an equal level, and uh, the track is out now. Uh, shout out to Austin Kramer for supporting it, and Robbie Engel over to Apple. It's it's been great. Like the support has been great for a, a fringy ravey record. It's been awesome. That's awesome, man. And uh, you know, really cool to hear that so many people involved and and how well it worked together to the point where you're actually going to keep releasing tracks under you know, rave revival as well is, um, is, is really cool. Just for anyone that's listening. Um, I noticed you mentioned with Spotify, uh, how you tagged as main artists and featured artists. So, um, for anyone listening, the benefit of tagging additional main artists is particularly on Spotify. It's going to hit all of their followers as well as a release by that artist. So whether they've released a track by themselves or as part of a project like this, if they're a main artist, it's a new release for them as well. So what you have is for those five main artists, you're going to hit all of their release radars and you're going to potentially hit all of their followers as well. So there's a lot of opportunity for a lot more reach there by collaborating. And then the featured artists as well, there'll be some opportunities there for, for those to be placed as well. But you know, obviously you mentioned you had editorial support from Robbie at Apple and uh, Austin Kramer at Spotify as well, which is awesome. Um, you know, that's pretty much the best result you can get as far as editorial placement for new tracks. So that's fantastic. What's sort of next for you guys right now? I mean, obviously you're wearing many hats and, you know, not to mention as well, you're a, you're a family man. So, you know, you, you really, I, I do take my hat off to you. Um, you, you know, with the hours that you're putting in and uh, how you manage to keep it all together and uh, keep a smile on your face. And, you know, you've got a really positive attitude towards it. So I'd love to know what keeps you going and what's next for you as well. So um, as far as what keeps me going, I'm just perpetually self-motivated. I, I can't like stop. And like, I have this endless guilt that just sits with me that if I'm not doing something that number one, somebody else is sliding in to do what I'm trying to do. And also I just can't sit still. So uh, like last night I sat down to have like, you know, a glass of wine and pizza. And like, I was, I was like on my phone the entire time sending emails. I just, it's bad. It's hard for me to vacation. Like I literally have to shut my phone off and like mm. leave it in a hotel room so I can just go relax. It sounds ridiculous. It's totally a first world problem I have, but I, I don't know. I think it's genetics. I'm going to leave it at that. My grandfather worked three jobs, not, not entirely because he had to at some level, but like he had to, but I think it got to a point where that's just what, what he was built to do. Mm. So this is, this is who I am. I can't help myself, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I, I noticed that at least you mentioned you do take vacations there, which is obviously a good opportunity for you to reset. Uh, everyone has their own opinion on vacations and the music industry as far as 
if you only go at specific times of the year, such as, you know, around Christmas, New Year's, where the music industry tends to take a break, uh, which I personally believe is actually the best time to release a new track because all the labels are taking holidays. And I agree. You get some great opportunities in there for anyone that's listening. Try it out. Uh, release the track just after Christmas Day and see what happens. But as far as holidays, you know, do you try and take mini vacations for extended amounts of time or do you t- just do a weekend here or there? Or how do you sort of reset uh, when you take a vacation? At this point, like normally uh, my family and I, like we'll take a trip once a year. That's, that's a little bit more extended. And, and we take weekends here and there. Hopefully I'll get some skiing in this year uh, before the winter ends. And like there's those little trips. But I mean, with what we do, like uh, at this point, a lot of our touring is within a certain period of time. So the other times during the year when we're not heavily touring, I do get extra time to just do what I want to do. Cool. That said, I, I like being in it pretty constantly. So for me, it's not, I'd rather take the two week vacation than take the, the weekend trip sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Because um, what I found personally is it takes a few days to actually switch off completely. You know, you're on the plane and you can buy Wi-Fi and, and then in yep. the flight, you're still on emails and then you get there and your head is still in, still in work mode, still, still thinking about what's next. And then you get to the hotel and then you realize you can't check in straight away. You go and get a coffee and you've got your phone. So, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. The weekend getaways are really hard. Personally, I like a week because you need those few days at the start and the end to sort of unwind and then to start ramping back up again. Um, the other thing I've, I've tried to do more recently is like just change my lifestyle overall. So there are pockets of my day that I'm not fully immersed in what we're doing, uh, where I take like a little bit of time away from the phone, away from email just to, you know, binge watch two episodes or three episodes of a show to disconnect or to get other ideas, just Mm. creatively watching something and totally disconnecting from everything we're involved with is nice because you get to experience other people's creativity on a level that you normally wouldn't. How often do we watch TV, but we're not really watching TV or watching Mm. a movie? You're not really watching a movie because you're answering emails. You're not fully engaged and like understanding the levels of creativity that go into, you know, a massive blockbuster movie. Like the other night I watched Creed three, which was an awesome movie because I'm a huge Rocky (laughs) fan, but like there's so many more, I totally disconnected and like just watched the movie, which I haven't done in a while. And there's so many little things that they did and like little Easter eggs. And those are things that I appreciate and I think influence my own creativity. So like back to the point of, I think now, like, I'm just trying to live in such a way where I don't necessarily need a holiday or vacation because I, I'm able to live in such a way where I get pockets to, to disconnect. I think that's important. Definitely, definitely. And, um, you know, I've been trying to do more of that myself recently. And like you said, it is hard because, you know, just like you, I have a setup at home. So my house is my office a lot of the time as well. Um, right. So what I do is when I watch a movie, because it's usually late at night, because I, that's my way, I disconnect, I watch something, and then I go to sleep. So what I do is I watch movies with the volume down really low, and I put subtitles on, which forces me to look at the screen to read wow. the subtitles. So that way I can't look away. 
And that's been really good for me because the volume is just quiet enough that you can sort of make out some words, but you, you, you can't really piece it together. So you have to actually, you look at the screen. Uh, I kind of compare it to when you're driving a car and this makes no sense, but we, we know we all do it. When you're driving a car late at night, you're trying to find the number of the house that you're going to. And the music is so loud that you can't see the house number until you turn the volume down. It makes no sense at all, but it just shows you how our concentration works. So, uh, yeah, tr- I say for anyone that's listening, try that out as well. You know, watch a movie or a TV show with the subtitles on and the volume down low, and you'd be surprised how much more attention you pay and how much more you absorb. That that would never work for me, only because <laughs> I am. 1000% like an auditory guy. So I need, like, I listen to audio books because I do not enjoy reading. I just don't, I genuinely don't enjoy, like I'll read a paragraph like four times before I'm like, all right, got it. But if somebody, if they, you know, if that was a video or that was just audio being fed to me, yeah, I'd retain it immediately. It's mm. just, it is what it is, but props to you for doing that. Yeah. Well, it's each to their own. And, uh, you know, I kind of, the reason I got the idea was I saw somebody posted this uh, meme and it was talking about Instagram and how, you know, most of the, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was something crazy. Like 90% of Instagram videos are watched on mute, on silent while people are sitting on the toilet. And, um, you know, apart from laughing at that, I realized, you know what, some some people do need the words on the screen to read it, to play along. Some people can't understand my accent. They need the subtitles. Some people, you know, whatever it is. So um, I kind of went, you know what, I'm going to try that out. So it's not for everyone, but for me personally, it really does help as far as keeping my concentration and keeping me from getting distracted. Because if I can listen to a TV show, I'm pulling my phone out or I'm going to have my laptop on my lap and I'm going to be responding to emails. So it, it's, um, you know, everyone has their own way that they switch off. And some people can actually read a book. Like you, I can't read a book. <laughs> audio books are great, but I don't listen to an audio book at night either. Um, so whatever it is, whatever works for you that helps you to switch off, it's important to do that as well. And I find that my productivity goes up so much when I come back because I've given myself that little break. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's even like sometimes 15 minutes makes a world of difference. Like I'll be in a project and I hit a wall and like, I'll just shut, shut off, like just go outside for a walk and come back. And like, it's, it's like, as if my ears have been replaced. Yeah. It's all clear again, which is, which is awesome. I just wanted to touch back on something you asked me earlier. I didn't really get to dive into it, but um, you asked me like, what's next? Like we've got a lot going on, but what's, what's coming up? Uh, so a couple of things I just wanted to mention were, um, number one, our follow-up single to our record, You Make Me, uh, our follow-up vocal, whatever you want to call it, pop, vocal, record, not a club record. Smash uh, hit record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's called Moving Mountains. It features Ollie Green on vocals, and it comes out March 1st on Enhanced. And then we produced a record for Vassy. So, and it's going to be her single that comes out on March 15th, but just touching back on something you were saying earlier, as far as like tagging artists and so forth, you'll see us tagged on that one on Spotify. Uh, So it's going to at least hit all of our, our listeners on there. Khalid did something similar recently with Disclosure. He put out a record called Talk that they produced 
and they're tagged on it. Mm. Uh, so it reaches their entire fan base. So we're doing a similar thing that comes out March 15th. We're just finishing up a thing. We've got something else that's going to be coming out with enhanced down the line and then uh, always working with spin-in. So we'll have something there, but we pretty much have like the next six months or so laid out as far as what we're putting out. Uh, and some really super cool projects that I'm excited to talk about. I just can't mention them yet. Of course, of course. So, um, you know, I guess this is a good opportunity for a plug as far as uh, your socials and where people can find you and follow you. Uh, obviously, let us know about, you know, the Disco Fries and your other collaborations that they can look out for. And most importantly, where people can find you and follow you so they can stay up to date as well. Yeah, so it's everything is relatively simple. It's slash the disco fries all facebook instagram youtube if you want to check out our spotify playlist it is disco fries liftoff radio picks uh where we update that pretty pretty often um and that has a bunch of our label releases it has, it has guys that we're just supporting in general on our radio show there's a bunch of music on there so you can check that out and it includes all of the imprints that i talked about today are usually featured on there but those are the main places. If you Google Disco Fries, you'll find fries or cheese and gravy and you'll find us. So it's really not hard to, to miss. I love it. I love it. And uh, can I tell people your, um, your personal Instagram handle as well? Because it's hilarious. Of course. Okay. So um, basically <laughs> take the uh, first letter of Nick's first and last name and switch them. So instead of Nick Dietrich, it becomes Dick Nitri. Uh, <laughs> the first time I saw it, I went, wow, I, I don't know how I spelt it so bad. And that's kind of hilarious. And I realized, no, that's actually his Instagram handle. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, full disclosure, that was uh, a buddy of mine. We you know, just had like a running inside joke that that could be my alter ego. If I'm <laughs> looking to email somebody back and I want to act like their manager, just swap the name. Nobody will ever know, even though it's the most obvious thing on the planet. Well, it's a lot more creative. Uh, I mean, obviously artists do things such as put X's and V's in their, in their <laughs> names and things like that. Or, uh, But I, I, that's, that's a unique one right there and it just worked <laughs> really well. And I, I tell you what, it, it made sure that I never forgot that handle. So it obviously That's awesome. Worked. It worked. <laughs> yeah, there's basically uh, pictures of me and food. That's all that's on that page. There's not a ton of music stuff on there, but you can see all the things that I've eaten, which is always fun. That's it. And I mean, that's how Instagram sort of started for a lot of us, right? It was uh, just food and gym selfies and that was it. So, um, you know, it sounds like the gym selfies aren't in there, but uh, no. at least we've got some good food pictures. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, one of the first times that we actually spoke uh, on, on camera, I remember you cooking a chicken palmy and I was so jealous. And then, <laughs> By the way, after that, because we, we just call them chicken palm here, <laughs> I called it a chicken parmy, like... I, now it's just what I call it after you said chicken parmy yeah. and everybody thinks I'm insane. So thank <laughs> you for that little tidbit. Yeah. Cause um, I mean, what's the other one? They call it chicken parma and, and it's uh, you know, cause obviously in Australia it's chicken parmigiana. So chicken parmy cause we shorten everything because that's how we are. Um, and, and you guys shorten it even more. It's chicken parm. I mean, chicken parm. Yeah. You just went one step and shortened <laughs> it even more. So, uh, you know. It's American. Anything to be a little bit lazier, we'll take. <laughs> well, you, said, you said that, not me, my friend. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, 
you know, I, th- I think that's about enough of us uh, just uh, ranting and raving for today. But I guess, lastly, is there any sort of tip or is there any sort of advice that you would like to end with that you would love to put out to the audience that's listening? Keeping in mind, we've got artists, managers, we've got a, we've got a mixture of producers, we've got pretty much everyone in the industry listening. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to say? I, I think we're in a time where you're allowed to be a lot more fearless than you ever were in history with what you release. And if if you love making a certain style of music and then tomorrow you want to change and do something else, I think it's perfectly acceptable in what we do. So my main thing is don't be afraid to release stuff. Put it out, put it out into the world and see what happens. The The things that we've been most paranoid about and most skeptical as to what they would do have been the most successful projects for us. Uh, so if that's any help, I hope that some artist there out there like takes a chance and, and puts something out on Spotify and, and sees what it does. And if it doesn't do anything, you can make something different tomorrow and it'll be okay. Yeah, that's it. And if, if it ruins your name, just release music under another name, you know, keep going. It's, um, I don't it's think any new project. I really don't think musically anything could ruin your name as long as the next thing you put out is really dope. Yeah. I think people have short attention spans and that, you know, you could go back in anybody's catalog and find questionable releases and songs oh, that yeah. may not have been up to par, but you know, just make something better tomorrow. It's all good. Yeah. And like you said, just keep putting music out because the next one may be a hit. Yep. Love it, man. Cool. Well, Nick Dietrich, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you. you for being on the show. I look forward to catching up with you next time I'm in New York City or next time we're in the same city once again for, as no doubt, some awesome food and some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, man.